Hey everybody, welcome to uh, Yawgmoth Soap Opera Episode 6. Um, this week it is Zach, a.k.a. Uh, the Hoff slash Abstract 66, and uh, George Whiffy Penguin. Uh, Andy, a.k.a. Eternal Hammer, was wrapped up in some uh, personal affairs, so he won't be with us this week. Hopefully he'll be on next week. Um, this week George and I wanted to go over a few... Uh, a few of our pet decks and a few of the decks that we're uh, we're playing around with, some of which we think will be very effective, some of which we don't, and we'll be bluntly honest in our uh, observations, our uh, practice using them, and uh, hopefully maybe some tips that'll tell you if you'll like them or not. Um, how you been, George? Uh, not too bad. Um, other than the lack of classic events that have been going on since the last time we uh, talked to you guys, I've been playing a lot of Mirrodin Besieged uh, Sealed and Triple Mirrodin Besieged Drafts, trying to get those Tezzeret Agents of Boluses. Yep, yep, and uh, how's that been going? Uh, I've done 12 Sealed decks, a pre-release, and three drafts, and I've managed to get one Tezzeret. Hey, you know, one's better than none. Um, one is better than none, however, the one Tezzeret that I got, in the draft, in my round one, my opponent had two Tezzerets. Made me feel like a sad panda. That's ridiculous. So there were three Tezzerets in one draft. There were three Tezzerets in one game of Limited Magic. So in one game of Limited Magic, you got three copies of one Mythic Chase Rare in the set. That is, that I don't think I've ever heard of that before. Yeah, and I mean, other than my one Tezzeret, I haven't really been pulling a whole lot of money. I've gotten a couple of uh, Ink Moth Nexuses, I've gotten a Green Sun Zenith, I got a uh, Gliss of the Traitor, a couple of Contested War Zones. But the good news is, is that the EV is so high on these things. Five of the events that I played... And I've gotten 60 rares and almost all of my QPs out of uh, the last two weeks. Oh, that's good. How about the uh, the other chase rare? Any of the uh, Swords of Feast and Famine? Oh, I've never even seen one. I've not resolved against me or in my pools. You know, this is why I hate that format. I played two drafts, and I scrubbed out of both drafts. Both times I had Backbone Black, and both times... Opponent resolved. Turn three to turn five. Sword of Feast and Famine equipped. So, uh, yeah, I don't That's like it. Yeah, it's it's not fun. Oh, um, um, and if you guys are listening to this and you want to do some mirrored and besieged drafts before they go away on uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, you should definitely try and force mono white. Both times I played mono white, I got to the finals. It is. Nice, nice. So, um, outside of the Mirrodin Besieged and back to the classic meta, what what have you been uh, noticing lately? Any any changes in the uh, in the I guess the tourney practice room since no events have been firing? Um. Well, I mean, the last couple of uh, days I've been playing because I wanted to. There was a classic top eight premiere event this weekend that just passed. And although it didn't fire, I tried to prepare for it. I was um, going to run Timmins four-color fish deck that we talked about in last week's event because I 
expected that there would be a lot of shop decks. Unfortunately, I also expected more than 11 people to show up for the event. Ouch. And the minimum's, what, 33? So you hit 33%? Uh, we, we hit one-third of what we actually needed. Yeah, that's um, no bueno. But in the tournament practice room, I've seen a lot more blue instead of a lot of shops. So I think that people are starting to um, explore a little bit more. Maybe they're bored with shop, or maybe they feel like they've got all the practice they need with it. Yeah, that's cool. That's a good way to look at it. Um, I admit, I too have been seeing a lot less shop. Um, sadly, I've been seeing a lot more, uh, shall we say, not typical classic builds, which kind of, you know, skews any practice you're going to be doing. So we'll see how that goes. Maybe that's just some anomalies and I'm just getting some bad luck. Um, but yeah, um, on to the decks we were talking about. Um, I have two that I'm going to bring you today, uh, as do you, and uh, one of the ones that uh, I think honestly has the most promise and that I've just been enjoying to no end is uh, a deck that got pretty pretty big in vintage when I believe it was Brian DeMars uh, ran it, and that's uh, Snake City Vault, which is uh, basically a deck that is dependent on landing landing a uh, early two drop in the form of creatures with insane abilities uh one of them is uh, dark confidant which is just bonkers in the format and the other is uh lotus cobra which is a card that i want to say doesn't get the respect i think it deserves in a uh in a meta game where the brown menace is making everything cost one more mana to get three mana off every fetch land you drop is pretty redonkey bonkers so uh i've been playing with the deck and you can see from my list here it's it's a little bit different you know it, you, obviously we're handicapped a little bit we can't port over exactly from vintage what you see you know you don't we can't port the jewelry over the the uh black lotus we can't port over the uh time walker the ancestral but most of the tools surprisingly we do have and uh from my experience so far, it's really been the most explosive hands I've seen in Classic outside of what I'd expect to see from, like, a Storm deck. Um, turn 1, Lotus Cobra's really probably just about the best play the deck can make, unless it's one of the more broken plays, which would be obviously, like, a, uh, a Turn 1 Jace or uh, a Turn 1 Tinker. You know, both of those are obviously kind of like... I guess you'd call the God Draw, like the equivalent of a turn one Trinosphere with uh, um, a Stacks deck. Um, but yeah, I mean, to go over the deck real quick, uh, some of the things we're looking at are uh, the creature base is, uh, it's really ten creatures, nine functional. Uh, the tenth is the uh, the big blight steel. Um, but the creatures are one Yixlid for the random Mize against Dredge, four Lotus, four Dark Confidant. Um, it has the full Tutor Suite, which is one of the main differences I see from the deck that I'm running compared to the other ones. I, I do like the uh, Imperial Seal here. I think for Classic right now, it's uh, it's great if you have multiple paths to victory and to get a Jace off the top or to get almost any spell you need. If you have board control to get a spell pierce, there's nothing to laugh about. So uh, it's got some cool tools. Um, unlike uh, a lot of the things I've been talking about over the past few weeks, I don't 
skimp on the Jaces here. I'm running three, which is, as I've said before in the format, the most I'll ever run. Um, so, I mean, three Jaces with, with all the mana acceleration, the three big mana artifacts, Vault, Ring, and uh, Crypt, and, um, you know, four Petals and the Lotus Cobras. It's it's definitely a doable spell. It's something that feels like it costs two or three. So, um, I've been having a lot of fun with it. I think the toughest matchups with it are uh, Fish, which... It's it's got some support in the sideboard in the form of Parish and uh of course I'll board in Yog Will against Fish if I'm not expecting stacks heavy stuff. Um but it seems like uh Fish is a tougher matchup and Storm of course would be a tougher matchup with no discard and uh you know, relying on the ley lines of sanctity in the sideboard. But uh one of the other major changes, uh this is a deck that actually started with me speaking with Dunkel and uh <coughs> talking about Lotus Cobra and how cool it was and how cool Dark Confidant and Jace were. And he asked me, he goes, well, is there a deck like that? And I said, yeah, there is. And I linked him to it. Slowly but surely, we've been tweaking it. Um, The biggest change and the most functional change has been cutting the Basic Forest, which is a stupid card in this format uh, for a Sensei's Divining Top. So far, it's been been going really well. there are some decks that's lost to. I mean, you, you you lose sometimes, but it has a really really strong game against stacks. Um, yeah, I, I I like the deck a lot right now. Um, that's the number one deck I'm running, and I'll I'll run a, a little bit more rogue version of another deck uh, a little bit later. But I think George has a deck he wants to talk about now. Well, I I just want to make some comments on the Snake City Vaults because although I don't have uh, the Lotus Cobras. This is a deck that I've been wanting to play since I saw the article by Brian DeMars months ago um, in the Vintage event that he ran it, or that his team ran it in. And one of my, I think it's got one of the most busted plays that you can make, which would be turn one Lotus Cobra, turn two fetch land, um, gain a mana from the Cobra, crack the fetch land for an underground sea, gain a mana from the Cobra, play Necropotence. Yeah. Then you draw, you know, ten cards, and you nature's claim your necro. Yeah. I mean, that that is just ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. And and it bears mention that, um, you know, sometimes the rules for magic aren't always easy to follow. Um, Necropotence looks like when you remove those cards and necro dies, you don't draw them, but that is incorrect. Uh, You target it with the um, nature's claim. Uh, holding control, you get four free cards out of the Nature's Claim. So, I mean, it's like a built-in Ancestral Recall, and you get your draw stuff back. Um, it's 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 a lot of fun. It has some really broken things in it. And, uh, I mean, I, I really like that you have nine fetch lands in the deck to really push Cobra over the edge. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I worry about with the deck is 16 lands in whatever format you're in is getting kind of greedy, and... Uh, Lately, I've had some hands where I've felt the, I guess, um, the pain of Wasteland. So, it does run two basics, and that's nice. Uh, it also sucks when you have to pigeonhole yourself like that, but sometimes it's the right thing to do. Well, I mean, you only have 16 lands, but you do have 23 mana sources and then Lotus Cobra. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's not too shabby. Yeah. It's it, al- that is almost a third of our... Uh, half of the deck going to producing mana. 
Yeah, it, it, it it's definitely felt strong. Um, from the times I've run it, uh, it's definitely had some problems with real creature-based decks. Um, I do think the parishes are absolutely like backbreaking if they're not being expected, and it's somebody running a deck with like uh, noble hierarchs, uh, Quasali pride mages, uh, somebody running goifs, or basically anything green. Uh, it does kind of hurt with the cobras because it's not like I'm taking my cobras out to run the parish, but right. But if you're if you're gonna blow up three hate bears. For one cobra, that seems fair. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, um, interesting. Why is Yogmoth's will on the sideboard? Yogmoth's will is on the sideboard only because uh, I expect a super stacks heavy metagame. Um, there are only two decks where I don't side it in four, and those are stacks and dredge. Because in both cases, I don't feel like you can get the full value and. Looking at the metagame tables, that's one of the things that I'm I'm kind of preparing for. Uh, is having 40-plus percent of the decks not being able to have that be a functional card. And I like most of my decks to be functional in almost every matchup. With with the exception of Yixlid Jailer and uh, uh, Hercules Recall. Yeah, I, I do like that you have a main deck answer to Dredge in the Yixlid Jailer, which is, you know, easily tutored up. But, um, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if uh, Niall Spellbomb wouldn't be a better target since it at least can trips. Yeah, now Spellbomb does feel good. Um, I haven't used it a lot in Classic. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Relic, and I think... <coughs> well, I, I've used it in the main deck of Oath in the past as a, you know, Miser's out to the Dredge Menace. And, and I mean, it's sure a 2-1 creature helps, but... Sometimes drawing a card is just excellent. And you can still randomly screw uh, Yogwill. I don't think that Yixlid Jailer actually stops Yogmoth's will, but Nihil Spellbomb does. No, it doesn't. Um, you know, it's funny, Dunkel asked me the same question. Yixlid Jailer, it shuts them off when they're in the graveyard, but as soon as they cast them, they leave that zone and they're immediately active again. Yep. Um, overall, though, it looks good. I can't wait for you to get all four Cobras so that I can borrow them and test it. <laughs> yeah, I got two more to go. Dunkel's loaning me two, but uh, we should have them by the end of the weekend here. Yeah, I, I, I've been holding out for Cobra until they rotate. I don't I don't feel like spending 85 to 100 tickets on a play set of Cobras right now. This sounds so dorky, but I honestly feel like I get my value out of them every time I play a fetch land on the next turn, because it feels like playing a Black Lotus. It just does. No, I understand. I mean, I bought the foil Blightsteel Colossus at what's almost six times its current value, but I I enjoyed it, and I think it's made me my money back. Yeah, I mean, that's an awesome card, and I think it was a good investment at whatever you got it at, because at some point, they're going to be hard to find. That's right. All right, so let's, let's go on to uh, one of my pet decks, as you will. Although, although you called uh, Snake City Vault a pet deck, I actually think it's a little bit more viable than what I'm about to talk about. Um, right when Masters 4 came out, I decided I wanted to try and build a workshop deck, but, I mean, I, I, I saw how bad the metagame was, and after, over the last two months, I've seen how it's continued to just be dominated by shop decks, so I've been slowly tuning this and testing this against shop decks, and or against classic, I play it every... Every now and then, but it's a workshop deck that plays with red. 
And the reason it plays red is primarily Goblin Welder. Because Goblin Welder, an active Goblin Welder against a shop opponent is just brutal. Mm -hmm. And especially, I've tried to build the deck in such a way that I can get Welder going quickly. Um, another big reason to play the red, I feel, is Magus of the Moon. Um, one, of the, one of the tough matchups for shop decks are Dredge and our Oath. Magus of the Moon doesn't stop an Oath of Druids from activating once it's hit play, but it does stop Oath of Druids from actually hitting play. And uh, the same with Bazaar of Baghdad. I've, I've won game ones against Dredge by going turn one Magus of the Moon. It's kind of brutal. Um, and then, filling out the rest of the deck, I've got uh, four Thorn of Amethysts, I've got the four Lodestone Golems, and I have Trinisphere. I decided I wanted to cut the Sphere of Resistance. Um, so, as Backguts was saying last week, the Spheres are, are kind of terrible in the Mirror Match. So I cut the Spear of Resistances so that, and I kept Thorn of Amethyst because they'll still screw with other decks, but they'll allow me to play my red creatures uninterrupted. And in place of the, in place of the Spear of Resistances, I'm running Chalice of the Void, and I'm running it in, in spite of my Goblin Welders because both cards are just ridiculous. And getting either would be really great. Um, I finish it off with a Crucible of Worlds and a bunch of zero-cost mana artifacts, um, primarily to give me red mana, as well as there's a Lotus Petal in here purely to kickstart Goblin Welder for me, because I was finding a lot of times that I would have all these juicy uh, artifacts that I wanted to start recurring, but nothing in my graveyard to start the chain going. Is that also the reason I see the uh, Miser's Vashono Heretic in there? That is definitely the reason you see the Heretic in the main deck. Um, the card, the card's not great in any matchup except for shops, but it is it is a freaking all-star in that matchup. And how do you feel about Precursor Golem? I like Precursor Precursor Golem because I have Goblin Welder. If I didn't have Goblin Welder, I probably would not be playing it. Sure. Um, I'm I'm kind of ignoring the main deck of everything except for shops, with the exception of Magus of the Moon. I mean, he definitely does throw a monkey wrench in any other deck's plans, but I pretty much ignore every other deck except for shops for the main. And then in the sideboard, I'm running um, eight Ley Lines and three Serum Powders, so that I can, you know, have game against Storm and Oath with the Leyline of Sanctity and Dredge with the Leyline of the Void. And then on top of the three Serum Powders and four Voids, I have two Tormod's Crypts. Mm -hmm. And also, Ensnaring Bridge can come in against Oath and Shop and Dredge. It's a pretty versatile card. Because I'm throwing away three slots with Serum Powder, I kind of wanted to just try and have versatile cards throughout the entire 15. Sure, and to go back a second to maybe um, clarify something for the listeners there, the reason I believe George is saying uh, Goblin Welder is so good with Precursor Golem is typically uh, when one of those guys gets targeted by a spell, it will copy that on the stack for all three. So uh, 
George is basically getting a free two for none uh, with the two tokens, and he's using the artifact body on the main one to get whatever he wants to back out of his graveyard. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much. The ideal chain would be have something in my graveyard. Ideally, a precursor golem in my graveyard. Um, use Goblin Welder and weld out like a mox for the precursor golem. Mm-hmm. And then I get two free tokens. The next turn, I weld the precursor golem out for, in a perfect world, the other precursor golem, but most likely a mox or a lodestone golem. And then the next turn, I get another two free three threes. Beautiful. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with you fully. Um, the number one best card against the entire format in this deck, I think, Obviously, Welder blows out some matches, but Magus of the Moon, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, there's not a deck that I know of in the format that relies on basic lands. Yeah, I mean, the closest thing is Green-White Hate, and they, they don't run that many basics. And they don't rely on those basic lands. I mean, if they know they're playing against Magus of the Moon, I'm sure they probably are the closest deck to being able to deal with it naturally, which by that I mean keeping a hand that'll have wooded foothill or uh, excuse me windswept heath and uh cards like that in it but definitely it's a problem even for them yeah and i mean um it's a reason i really like chalice of the void with magus of the moon is because you can also shut off the lotus petals and chrome boxes that people are running to supplement their lands sure and uh basically from from what i'm looking at here this looks like um Oath on Oath Violence, or excuse me, Stacks on Stacks Violence, because it just, it, it looks like it's a Stacks deck that's built to prey on Stacks decks, and uh, some of the more unfair, uh, I guess, pieces that might go with it. What, what do you think about Memory Jar in, in a deck like this? Um, I've, I've had people ask me about it, and, <clears throat> I mean, it seems really good, but I don't know. I don't know what I would cut. I guess they're... I guess some of the weak cards in the deck are the Singleton Sphere of Resistance, um, maybe a Mox, uh, a Crucible of Worlds or two, the Precursor Golems. These are cards that you can move around. Um, I kind of like the Viashino Heretic. I think I might even want two in the main deck. You know, one, one of the cool things about uh, Jar that I always forget until you really look at the card is the fact that unlike... Almost every other spell in this deck, Jar can get your Welder Chain going for you. Yeah, and I mean, I did I did try Goblin Welder in my dedicated Memory Jar decks, which are super fun, but boy, do they suck. <laughs> Is that the uh, the Liliana Caress decks? Yeah, I played I played like probably fifteen different versions of it once Memory Jar was uh, printed. But I mean. Sure, it would blow out the decks without blue, but it didn't stand a chance against anything packing Force of Will. Very cool. Well, you know, I I think I agree with you. I actually remember those decks, and the problem with memory drawing decks like that and Windfall is if they're not drawn and played at the right time, it's just as big an advantage for the, I guess, the blue opponent as it is for you, because anybody hitting a Force of Will, it's, it's pretty rid ridiculous. Yeah, pretty much the only way you could win those games was if you resolved Liliana's Caress first, mm -hmm. and then Force of Will, their counterspell on your memory jar, and they miss Nature's Claim when you let them draw seven. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And then you still have to deal four to six damage. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what, what do you have up next for us, Zach? Well, up next for us, we have... Uh, basically, I love me some Planeswalkers. And uh, I was thinking about it, and w- one of these days I was sitting there, and I was going, you know... It, it kind of sucks that we're limited in Classic right now to to being the fair decks. Um, when I say we and being the fair decks, I'm referring to me and my affinity for blue-based decks. Um, I, love I, don't know, blue. I don't know if I can back you up on the fair. Workshop is busted, but so is blue. See, the reason I say it's not uh, is only because the cornerstone pillars of the deck... Of these two decks, I think, are Bizarro Baghdad and uh, Mishra's Workshop, which are just totally unfair, linear, uncounterable lands. Whereas every single spell in a blue deck can be countered or foiled in some way. Um, The broken starts that... I mean, come on. If you're a good player and you're playing with Serum Powder and either of those decks, you're going to find those lands on the first turn of the game. And that is such a huge advantage to have three mana every turn one or to have, you know, the best discard outlet ever printed turn one. Um, I, I was just trying to think, you know, the only way that really mitigates that in the real vintage scene is jewelry. And uh, the cool thing about the next deck I want to talk about that I've tentatively named, uh, tentatively named Exploderator. Um, Which I wholeheartedly second, Zach. What a what an awesome name. Uh-huh, thanks, dude. Um, basically, I tried to emulate like Vintage as much as I could, at least the power of the plays. Um, it's running cards that you don't typically see together, which is four Lotus Petals and three Chrome Mocks. Um, the coolest thing about the deck is it gives you a reason. Number one, it gives you a reason not to hate drawing those cards all the time because between cards like Tolarian Academy and Tinker, you also have uh, the Miser's Tezzeret uh, Agent of Bolas, which in this deck, I mean, I'll do a quick count here on the artifact count, but I, if I remember correctly, I think it's 14 or 15. You got 3, 4, 5, uh, 6, 7, 11, 12, 13... 14, 14 main deck artifacts. Um, and if you think basically 10 is one in every six, uh, you're, you're looking at even better than that. Um, we want to hit one in every five, and I think this deck hits that easily uh, for the effect on Tezzeret. Um, it also runs the traditional Tezzeret and, and three big, fat, normal, old-school Jays 2.0s. Um, it's it's a deck that basically wants to get either a dark com- if you get a dark confidant with with this deck you're going to be playing at turn one I can almost guarantee it ninety ninety percent of the time uh, between three chrome mocks and four lotus petals and four dark confidants if you see dark confidant it's you know there's a one in ten chance it's going to have a uh, petal or a mox um, in the same hand not to mention you know all the typical rampant I love to play, like uh, Soul Ring, Vault, Crypt, and uh, a turn two Jace, Tezzeret, or whatnot is definitely not out of the question. Um, turn one's happened several times. Uh, I, I, 
as you'll see, you know, I talked about this last podcast. I've been adding the Misers, the Exo Jailers to all my decks. Um, some of the only things about this deck that I don't really know about, like I'm not running Imperial Seal in this deck. I don't know if it's the right call. Um, with three different Planeswalkers and five copies, uh, four Dark Confidants, Yixlid for the... I mean, in my opinion, typically, if I run Silver Bullets, there's a reason I'm doing it. It's because I can usually find it. And uh, I don't know. That's one of the changes I'm thinking about making. Um, but basically, this deck, it, it, it fights it fights stacks. Like, all the decks that I've been playing around with, it, my number one concern is typically stacks. Um, I don't like how stacks is toying with the format. I'm just trying all I can to fight it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I think um, George has played around with it very minimally. Um, well, well, I, I've given it. I've given it about fifteen uh, matches. And what what do you think about it? Uh, I I like the way it plays. I mean, like you said, Dark Confidant is if if it's in your opening hand, it's hitting play turn one. Um, and like the interesting thing about this deck is, I kind of feel like it plays out um, like an aggro deck almost. I mean, sure, you've got your control elements, but with the high density of mana acceleration, what you're really what you're really trying to do is just slam a game winner down on the board before your opponent can interact with you. Like turn one dark confront is it slights out against most of the decks. Even shops. Like, do whatever you want. I'm drawing two cards a turn, I'm always gonna have mana. Um playing a turn one Jace or a turn two uh Tezzeret, either either Tezzeret is really good because you can make your Chrome Box into a 5-5 or you can dig for start digging for Time Vault. Um, some of the stuff I didn't like is I kind of feel like maybe it needs Thirst for Knowledge. Sure. Um, and I understand why Balance is in the main deck. The deck definitely does have a hard time against uh, Creatures. But at the same time, I don't think Creatures are big enough part of the metagame to validate main deck. Space. Fair enough. So um, if you were going to tweak the deck, you, you'd definitely cut the balance at least to the sideboard and consider finding some other room for some thirst. Yeah, I would. I would probably cut balance to the sideboard for a thirst for knowledge off the bat, and then, um, I don't know. I've been. I was talking to you earlier in the week, but I've been kind of toying with the idea of taking nature's claims. And putting all three in the sideboard and putting two uh, steel sabotages in the main deck. Because while I was playing against stacks, and although the deck does have a pretty decent stacks matchup, it's really hard. It's it's not an easy matchup. It's a drag-out, knockdown fight. And I was finding out that, you know, Chalice of the Void with Nature's Claim in hand and open mana is a non-bow. So I want to try Steel Sabotage instead because Chalice of the Void definitely gives this deck some problems. Sure, and, and the cool thing is I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, when you play this deck against uh, stacks, don't just listen to me and George say it's a good matchup. Prepare for it to be like the closest parallel I can draw is it feels like playing Counterbalance in Legacy. It's not going to just win. It's going to win through uh, resource advantage. Um, it's uh, it can win. You you can have a turn one tinker into uh, blight steel, but will that usually happen? No, I don't think so. Um, 
basically uh, the deck doesn't play like that. So it's it's been it's it's been a lot of fun so far. Um, another interesting thing to note is that right after you told me about this deck and uh, I built it up, I read an article about um, this guy who likes to play vintage. It was on Star City Games, and it's the Mass Mox Mana Base. And basically what he was doing was he was playing vintage decks with, like, nine lands and 20 mana artifacts. That's cool. Sounds kind of like the, the something similar. Um, it's definitely kind of like the direction I was going. Uh, Sixteen lands with an, with one of them being academy is kind of like daring uh, in a format where you have <laughs> strip mine and four wastelands. Uh, oh, and yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, you know, I also kind of like the fact that you touched on uh, this not being a control deck because. I, I so want to remember who I was talking with. Um, well, I, it can't be a control deck. It's it doesn't have enough um, disruption. I, I agree all, with you. And, and all it really has is spell pierce, besides the obligatory force of will. Exactly, and you can't play blue in the format without playing force. I mean, my opinion, but that's how I feel. Um, I, I I so want to remember who I was talking to. I, I want to say it was like. Uh, Sarbashar or somebody. It was one of uh, Endless Nameless's friends. They were telling me that he was working with uh, something similar with Tezzeret. And uh, basically, he was saying, wait, but you, you tell me it's not a control build. It runs Force of Will. And we got into like a little mini debate. I'm like, I tried to explain exactly what you said uh, so eloquently, which is just because you're playing Force of Will doesn't mean it's, uh, it's a control deck. This deck definitely plays more like uh, Tempo. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's not quite. You can't quite draw the corollary to something like Thresh in Legacy, um, but you're you're not you're not about slowly building up resources. You're all about just getting a card advantage engine down as quickly as possible and riding the incremental uh, advantages to victory as you keep playing bigger and better uh, haymakers. You know, uh, speaking of which, um, going down the sideboard real quick, uh, just as a, a primer, I'll first say the number one thing I would change, take out, and absolutely fix today is the Kataki's suck in this deck. Uh, there are way too many artifacts that affect you to run Kataki's. I don't know what I was thinking. They shouldn't be in the sideboard, and they should probably be two copies of Hercule Recall off, off the top. Um, that Adele's in there for the... Uh, the Oath builds, the Mirror Blue, like uh, Jacerator, <laughs> if anybody did run a deck like uh, um, Snake City, uh, they'd be a great card to side in. Um, Yixlid Jailers and the Four Leyline of the Voids are pretty self-explanatory. That plus the main Yixlid makes it seven Dredge Hate, so that's always a nice number to have. Um, and the Yixlids are always going to be coming down on turn one. Sure, sure, if exactly. You have, if you have it in your hand. It's the same reasoning with Dark Confidant. Exactly, and then that's that's kind of like the key. Um, Dredge is going to get that first discard space, but what, what are they really going to do after that? Um, the three shards to plowshares are a real tip of the hat to not only aggro itself, but also I think Blightsteel is just underprepared for at the moment. Um as we've talked about in the, the weeks leading up to this, and the nature's claim as the as the uh, in the sideboard is another nod to uh, 
two stacks and the power that it wields. So that's I would I would also say that it's uh, needed against Oath of Druids because I feel like this would have a rough Oath matchup. You know, I didn't I didn't actually get to play against Oath because there's not very many people who like to play the deck apparently. Yeah, I don't know why they don't like to win. I don't know. Uh, I've gotten some good games in against Oath. Um, I think it's real swingy. Uh, if you know what... It, it, it's almost like being in a PE. Uh, if it's round one, it's a lot harder because you don't know what they are. But if you know it's Oath, I won't be so quick to keep that hand that has nothing but the turn one dark confidant. You know what I mean? Uh, if you know it's Oath, it's, it, it, it is a little bit easier to play around. It sucks when they get the Oath plus... Forbidden Orchard, but if you can play around it, I mean, some of your spells are just as strong as some of their spells, so... No, and I agree with that, but you just don't have the permission for the long game that Oath likes to try and do. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, I mean, it, it's been okay. Um, that That's another tip of the hat with the uh, the Miser's Engineered Explosives in there for Oath, the Tokens, uh, Fish, and basically extra stuffs. Um, so, yeah, the other interesting thing about Engineered Explosives that I just heard, I think it was Backguts, but it may have been someone else, they, uh, they bring it in out of the sideboard against shop decks, and let's say that they have two spheres on the board, you play Explosives for zero, and the sphere effects will make you get the sunburst of two that you need to blow up said spheres. So it's like a, uh, hard Hercules Recall. Uh, that's correct, yeah. You're right, and that is a really cool effect with uh, Engineer Explosives. I'd like to say that was the reason I put it in, but to be honest, it was kind of a vain attempt at getting a card that I like from Legacy into the Vintage format, or into a close to Vintage Classic format. Yeah, like when I first started playing the deck, I was siding the Explosives out until that person told me, and I didn't realize it, but... He was absolutely correct. I was citing them out because I thought I would need four mana to blow up spheres instead of just two. Yeah, that's definitely a cool play. But, um, you know, I, I don't want to go too far in on the deck. I, I don't know how proven it is. I, you know, my, my last word on the two decks that I, I put in, if I was going to pick one of them for tournament play today, there's no question I'd be playing Snake City. It's... So far, it's been a ridiculous deck, and I love it a lot. Um, this deck's really cool, but it feels way more like a work in progress. Um, honestly, I think if you play Snake City and you get good with it, it could be a Tier 1 deck. Okay. I guess uh, I guess that'll bring us into the last uh, kind of pet or fringe deck that we have. Um, this one... A clanmate a, about a month ago asked me about Tide Spout Tyrant in an Oath build. And I'm reluctant because we don't have Moxes. And that's what makes Tyrant just absolutely ridiculous in Vintage. Is you get infinite storm and infinite mana with two Moxes. In Classic, you can use Lotus Petal to get infinite storm. But you can't get infinite mana. And without getting the infinite mana, it's kind of hard to, you know, kind of go off. You have to win slowly with Tyrant attacking for, like, three turns, which is a long time when you're an Oath deck. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I built it. I took his list, and he had stuff like Brain Freeze, which I just absolutely detest. 
I, I don't think it's good. Even even if you regrowth it or Yogg Moth's Willa and play it twice, um, it just seems awful. I decided to get really greedy and play Tendrils of Agony instead. Um, I've got pretty much a Gush Bond engine with six Oath cards in the deck. And... It's had it's had some good games, but it primarily kind of just dirtles around and it doesn't doesn't quite feel right. I would be interested in anyone who's been trying uh, the archetype to let me know. I mean, getting Tide Spout Tyrant down is pretty awesome, but I usually find out that I don't have anything to cast after he's down because either there's only one or two lands on the board, or I expended everything uh, fighting to activate Oath. Yeah. Um, I I really I could be wrong, but I really feel like you're better off either playing dedicated gush bond or a dedicated oath deck. Sure. Um, I I I think I mentioned this on another podcast, but I always like to say if we had full vintage, that's definitely one of the decks that I'd be pretty tempted to play. I love me some tides about tyrant and. Uh, Oath is just unfair, so those two combinations plus power is uh, pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, even in Classic, it's like peanut butter and jelly, you know? You've got you've got Tyrant, and you've got Oath as the engine, and all these cheap spells, but what are you doing, really? Yeah, I mean, it seems like an exercise in futility to an extent. 5-5 uh, five, five Flyer is... is Awesome with his effect, with play a spell, you know, return something to his hand. But unless you're playing those storm cards, you know, and you are, you're playing Tendrils of Agony. But uh, unless you have a functional way to do the infinite mana and just keep doing things, I don't know how viable it is. I mean, and another another big knock against it is that half of more than half of the deck is useless against most of the metagame. Because how do you storm someone out when they've got three spheres on the table? Very good question. Um, I notice uh, I don't see the Hercules main in this. No, no, it's not there. Um, this this is like the second or third iron iteration I have of the of the deck. It's still in the rough stages. Like not every deck I build is just instantly ready. Sometimes. Sometimes it takes me weeks or months to make a deck ready. Sure. Yeah, I figure that's pretty normal. Um, even the best deck builders in the world aren't, like, done. <laughs> right, and something like Tyrant Oath is pretty low on my priorities when I want to, you know, get practice with Tier 1 strategies and also play all these awesome limited events. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the classic community this last week and a half has been in that same mindset. Um, it's kind of uh, it's kind of fun when new sets come out, so I, I think everybody likes to play with them. Um, right now, in the classic quarter forums and just around Magic in general, it seems like there's a pretty big groundswell for support for Tez all of a sudden. Um, have you noticed him jumping up into the stratosphere in Bryce? Uh, I'm sorry, could you say that again? I was just saying in uh, in the classic quarter forums and in, in Magic in general, have you noticed the, the, the groundswell for Tez and the way he's just been 
going up these last uh, few days? Yeah, I'm really disappointed. I thought that I thought that I would be able to get mine for about twenty five each, and right now they're like thirty five, and that's just disappointing. Um, I did not want to pay that many for them, but I have almost a four times playset of Scars of Mirrodin. And one of my goals with all of these release eventing was to get as many singles as I could and <clears throat> get a four times playset of Mirrodin Besieged so that I could pl have a perfect block collection. And then once the third set comes out, I'll get a playset of those as well. And I'll be set for standard next year, which is, you know, one of my long-term goals. And if you've been playing Magic Online for a while, you should have some of these long-term goals in place too so that you can, you know... Keep your, keep your hobby fresh and give you a reason to turn on the computer. Sure, and I, I think that's good advice. Um, I, I'm a little bit surprised that it's gone up, but I'm not totally surprised. Uh, when I started playing with the card, I, I, I figured out it was drawing a card itself. I mean, talking about it in preview articles is one thing, but using the card and seeing how good it is, it's a pretty impressive card. Um, I, I got pretty lucky. A preview I put, article. I'm sorry? Wait, which is interesting because you didn't like it in our preview article. Yeah, I thought it was kind of uh, crap. I mean, let's be fair. Even in the Exploderator build, I kind of tweaked that deck so it could fit a, a Deseret. It's not like it's like a Jace, which is just ubiquitous with the colors. Just because I have a blue-black deck does not mean... Tezzeret's a good fit in that deck. Um, right, right. You definitely had to kind of jam it in there. Yeah, and, and I think anything more than one in that deck, honestly, feels incorrect. Um, I don't know. Uh, but more to the point, one of the things that I did during uh, release week was I put an ad up overnight, and I ended up getting a Tezzeret foil for 36 tickets. And this was a couple days after release events, and... Uh, I ended up selling that or trading it for two normal Tezzerets, and uh, just yesterday I sold my regular Tezzeret for 37 so I feel wow, like I so made out pretty good. Wow, you got a good. free Tezzeret. Yeah, a free Tezzeret, a free ticket, and everything, so I felt pretty good about it. Um, I'm, I'm actually, that's what I'm going to buy my two, uh, my two remaining cards that I need to buy right now, which are the Lotus Covers with. So nice. that's that and a couple of tickets, so... That's my plans for the week. Um, what about you? Anything you're going to pick up this week? Um, well, I am going to pick up the other three Tezzerets that I need. I'm still hoping... I'm not planning on picking them up until tomorrow night. I'm still hoping that I can open one in some of these uh, limited events that I keep playing. Um, but yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up the Tezzerets and I'm going to start building and playing some block Tezzeret decks, and if I can find a Jace, I will start playing some standard Tezzeret decks, too. Just to, you know, try and bankroll some more so that I can win packs and all these other events that actually fire, um, instead of just relying on Classic to bankroll my collection. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty funny this last week. It's been like a role reversal for us. Usually you're the... Uh the constructed dude, and I am super mega into limited. And uh, this last week, I think you've uh, you've lapped me with the Mirrodin Besiege events. 
Uh, I always I always try and go overboard during the release events. If you haven't heard it, or even if you have heard it, you have to play in these events. The the estimated value is through the roof. Uh, 3-1 gives you 8 packs. That's enough to play for free. You get all your cards. Uh, if you can 4-0, you get 13 packs. That's almost enough for 2 events. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um... And the, one of the things you also need to be doing is if it's early and you want to maximize your value, you need to sell everything you open within the first two or three days. If it's late in the release events, you need to hold it because they're not worth anything. And you need to hold them for a little while before they'll start to rise again. Yeah, and, you know, going back to what I said earlier in the podcast, I, I was uh, soured a little bit when I hit my first two drafts and both opponents in the first round had uh, the sort of feast and famine. So, so yeah, these last few weeks I've been doing a ton of uh, Urza's drafts. Um, I actually had a pretty good run there where seven straight drafts I hit finals or uh, or won. Um, but then I never hit money in any of those drafts, so I haven't been having the best luck. I've just I got a mother of runes and some legacy uncommons, but for the most part, um, I finally did open money. I got Smokestack, Defense of the Heart, and Rancor, and of course I got booted in round two. So it was uh-huh. almost like a jinx. Yeah, about about a month ago, I was playing in the Urza's drafts for a week straight, and I uh, I joined five drafts. I made the finals of three, and I opened a Talarian Academy, a Gaia's Cradle, and I believe twenty five dollars in popper singles. So I made a profit of about fifty tickets for playing in those five Urza's drafts. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you you've been having better luck than me lately with the uh, opening. <laughs> well, except for except for the Nirden besieged, out of out of all of the events I've done, which I believe I've opened about fifty packs of Nirden besieged, I've gotten the Tezzeret and a bunch of crud. <laughs> Understood. Well, you want you want to talk about the uh, the event that fired today? We finally got a classic event that fired. Yeah, um, after the premiere event failed to fire, I was a little skeptical that the daily event would fire later in the night, but it did, and um, I got to play in it, and a good game oath on Thursday, I suppose, when you look at this article. <coughs> But, uh, so we had 16 players, and one of them, Blue Diamonds, just showed up so that the event would fire. He didn't actually play. Mm -hmm. Um, The breakdown for the event was, for, I think, the first time ever, Oath was the top-played archetype. And all four of them were good game variety. Very cool. Um, I suppose you could say that Oath was tied with shop decks, because there were four different decks that played with Mishra's Workshop, although I feel like they were three distinct builds. Two were your average stacksless stack shops, um, but then another was a, a like a five-color deck with City of Brasses and Mind Twist and I believe nothing such. And then the last shop build was one that was using Tezzera, Agent of Bolas, as like kind of the star of the deck with shop to 
have natural synergy with the fact that you want to run lots of artifacts. Um, so there's four shop decks, there's four oath decks, and rounding out, we've got three aggro decks, uh, four color fish, a la Timmons, Merfolk, a la Excorpio, Green White Hate, who was, uh, Sar Basher, and then we've got a Snake Gushbond deck, which I kind of find to be humorous since you were just talking about Snake City Vault and playing it in the TP room the last two days. Maybe that person watched you and decided to try and build it up. Um, we've got the Storm deck that managed to win that we looked at in the last event. He, uh, he 3-1 this one. We've got a Red Deck Wings deck, and we've got a 70-card Pile of Commons, <laughs> which I had the good fortune of playing in round one. Oh, you luck sack. So, in round one, I played the 70-card limited deck. In round two, I played against the Storm deck. And uh, I believe I had an early early Tinker in game one and an early Oath in game two, which just won me the game with uh, some key counter magic from the top of my deck. And afterwards, I talked to the pilot about his 4-0 list, and he told me that he is only about a 40% chance to win against Shops. So, Shop is still a really bad matchup for him. He just manages to get a little lucky and miss it for the most part. Oh, that's cool. And then in round three, I played against Timmons uh, with his four-color fish deck. He managed to beat me down pretty solidly in game one. Uh, I tried my best to play around his uh, stifle in game one, but all it did was just slow it down a little bit, and I couldn't I couldn't get her done. Uh, in game two, I I got I tinkered for my blight steel, and I won. Um, also, it could be the other way around where I tinkered for blight steel in game one, and I played around stifle in game two. Uh, and then in game three, he just he just out tempoed me. I think it was a close match, but he got me. Um, and interestingly enough, he lost to what is probably the exact same or close to the exact same deck as I was playing in round uh, four. Uh, in my round four, I was paired against Back to Guts with his Tezzeret Shop deck, and he was. We were talking to each other throughout the event, and he played against Good Game O three times, and he was lucky to win one of them. Um, so even though it was a good matchup, I, I like him, and I usually will offer up a split to anyone I meet in the final round, with some obvious exceptions to people that just get under my skin. There's about three or four that I wouldn't offer the split to, even if I had a horrible matchup. But I had a good matchup, and I offered him the split, and he took it. Well, that's cool. So we both we both get paid back our entry and a little bit extra, which, which I mean... I'm all about the community, and I think it's better for both of us to be able to play in another event than for just one of us, too. Definitely. I think that's cool. So, uh, I think that pretty much wraps up uh, episode six here. Hopefully next week we get uh, Andy back. And um, let me go ahead and take a moment here to thank our uh, host, Pure MTGO, and our sponsor, MTGO Traders. Um, we love you guys. We appreciate the support. And uh, you guys need to all go out and buy stuff from them. Um, again, this is Zach, a.k.a. The Hoffman Abstract, uh, with George, a.k.a. Whiffy Penguin, saying uh, goodbye, and hopefully we'll see you next Thursday.
George? All right, guys. Uh, just let's play some classic this week so that we have more to talk about in the next podcast. Um, I don't know if you guys enjoyed looking at what we're doing behind the scenes on the, you know, the Tier 1 decks, but, I mean, I don't know for Zach, but for me, I like P-Room as my casual room and play out with ideas that are either fun or just not quite Tier 1 yet. Definitely. Um, I'm kind of in a situation where I don't get a lot of time to play in events due to family, but uh, definitely I, I kind of use it the same way. I pick decks that I think look good and learn about them, play them, and uh, pick my own brain a little bit and like to play with uh, new ideas there. So hope to see more games just being played in the TP room. I mean, as of late, it's been harder to find games, so I hope you guys want to get in there and mix it up. I'm sure you'll see uh, myself or George on there a lot. So, look forward to playing with you over the next few weeks, and uh, that should be it here from uh, Yogmoth Soap Opera Episode 6. Thank you. Bye.